0: Over the last decade, billions of dollars have been invested in transit technology like ride hailing, scooters, autonomy, and electrification. So coming up next on The Movement Podcast, we talk with Ben Birnbaum, who is not only investing capital, but also worked in public transit to hear how he's shaping the future of mobility. Let's go.
1: The freedom of movement to access jobs, education, and social activities is a fundamental human right. But that freedom is not distributed equitably, undermining our ability to create vibrant and sustainable communities for all. Welcome to the movement, where we talk with the leaders who are reshaping their communities with brave decisions, inspired advocacy, and a stubborn unwillingness to accept the status quo, all in an effort to inspire the next generation of leaders. Here's your host, Josh Cohen.
0: Our guest today is Ben Birnbaum, a partner at Keyframe Capital, an investment firm with a strong focus on transportation, energy, and fintech, and how disruption in those industries will impact the broader economy. And I first met Ben a few years ago when he was VP of Strategy at MV Transportation, the largest privately owned transportation company in the U.S., serving over 250 municipal transit agencies and other clients. Welcome to the movement, Ben. Thanks for having me on, Josh. I'm glad we finally got to do this. We've been we've been trying to get this scheduled for a little while. It so. only,
2: only took us uh, two or three years.
0: Yeah, you know, it's taken us a little while. It's all right. It's all right. You're a busy guy. Um, but, but I was really excited to have you on here because, you know, we've had a couple of folks that have had kind of experience or, or work on the investment side or... Um, you know, coming from the capital side, but but not that many. So I, I'd love to maybe chat with you a little bit about that because I think your experience, having worked for MV, I'm sure, I'm guessing, maybe maybe you'll you'll share with me, maybe not, but I'm guessing, has impacted how you're looking at this space. Um, so I'd love to maybe you know share your connection, maybe a little bit back of your background, your mobility story, and and, and connection there, and then how that's impacting how you decide where to invest capital at keyframe.
2: Yeah. Um, for sure. It actually is not only informs, um, where we invest, uh, but also how we invest and how we are, um, set up and structured as a firm. Um, m- many firms, uh, especially ones who focus on, um, I'll, I'll answer your question, you know, sort of fully, but, um, many firms who are focused on early stage companies and growth companies typically call themselves like venture capital firms, a a lot informed by my experiences at MV and my team's experiences at similar businesses um, in spaces like, uh, you know, ground transportation and uh, airline travel and energy and stuff like that. Um, we, We kind of recognized that there was a gap in, uh, firms that could invest in both the sort of corporate capital needs, as well as, you know, the the assets that, you know, businesses that want to be successful in these markets often need uh, to get off the ground. If you think of MV, you know, if you were going to start a new MV today, um, you, you couldn't so easily do that without access to sites and vehicles and, you know, a lot of expensive things that, You know, venture capital dollars don't really allow for Um, certainly not
0: the margins that they normally play at.
2: Yeah, exactly, and and for good for good reason, um, for good reason. But um, it it also squanders innovation um, from asset intensive or lower margin business models, Um, Mm. and so we we set ourselves up to be able to invest in. you know, equity, debt, and assets um, at different stages of companies, um, so that we could be a partner to folks who are trying to innovate in the markets that we focus on, um, and not try to not not have to force them into the same box that you know other other folks who are more constrained have to force them into. So that 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 actually you know. It's not all um, to come. Yeah, you know, I have more of my, my partners to thank for that, like, uh, you know, in, ingenuity around our structure, but um, it, it is certainly like very much informed by the kind of experience that I had uh, at MV and, you know, working in uh, for in the, the part of the transportation space that was responsible for. Um, bearing that brunt uh, for the you know entire market uh, our our role at MV was um, our role at MV was you know go through that thousand page RFP for the city and uh, you know bring all of the labor all the vehicles procure the technology from you um, you know and you maintenance and facilities and bring it all together and sign a 10 to 30 year contract with the city um, and, you know, be the operator. Um, and so in, innovation in that layer is just, is in different than innovation in like a, in a software layer. Um, so anyways, my, my, that's, that, that was what MV was. And my role there was to, you know, go find, um, you know, the, the, the next thing. Um, yeah. And when I joined, it was sort of Uber was a big existential threat to our paratransit business. Um, go find the next thing, whether it was uh, Uber or micro mobility um, or EVs or autonomous vehicles and figure out how to bring them into that contract layer. Um, in, you know, because that's how, as you know, super well, um, and anyone who's crazy enough to listen to your podcast probably knows pretty well. uh, (laughs) That's how money gets into transportation is from cities through those contracts to everyone else. Um, And so I I got this seat to where I got to, you know, be the buyer of sorts um, for a variety of different kinds of uh, new transportation technologies and uh, figure out how they plug in um, to the rest of the the ecosystem uh, as we were sort of like that contract we had was sort of like the balanced ecosystem, you know, manager from like a, from like an, eco- like an economic perspective. Yeah. Um, so that, that, you know, that taught me a lot. It taught me sort of the fundamental thing about, innovating within the heavy assets that I was describing, um, but also just gave me perspective on like what makes money and what doesn't make money in transportation. So
0: it's funny you mentioned that, though, because I was thinking about that as you were talking that that, you know, how you're really focusing on these kind of the innovation and the asset heavy type of type of world, because transportation has traditionally been pretty asset heavy. Right. I mean, if you want if you want to do something in transportation, you have to have vehicles, you have to have infrastructure and so forth. And it really wasn't until Uber and Lyft kind of, and, and again, maybe you might you might have some different thoughts on this, but it seems like Uber and Lyft kind of really created this like asset light software kind of layer um, level. But you're kind of going back to the roots, right? I mean, you're going back to like how can we how can we bring some innovation to some of this stuff that that is kind of the traditional way we've delivered
2: transportation. Did, did they though? You know, did they, no? That's your question. Did they create a uh an asset light, um, business or like, you know, I, I talked to a, uh, I talked to a business today that owns 6,000 Ubers, uh, in New York city alone. Um, you know, and so I'm not so sure that like, like unless until people can fly, um, like I, you, maybe you can like, do some abstraction of the software from the assets, but you know, it's, they, it will always find balance and they come together. But that's not on Uber's balance sheet though, right? It's, it's, it's not on Uber's balance sheet, but, um, you know, the total profits or losses of the space, um, is sort of zero sum, and, right. and you know Uber still makes lots of losses um, while people out there lease vehicles to drivers right. um, to make it all work. And so, yeah, like Uber's asset light, um, but does it work yet? Um, I'm, you know, I don't know. Um, well, no, that's that's a fair
0: point, right? So, so, so. To to put a finer point on that, yes, Uber itself may be asset light, but somebody still has to get in a vehicle. Somebody still has to have a vehicle in order to transport one person or a group of people from point A to point B, right? And that's where that that's where the 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 the, the, the heavy part of it comes in, right? Yeah, and
2: I think just having a having a um, appreciation for sort of the full the full uh, cost of things um, came from working in public transit, um, and a big element of that was um, the fact that like the gold standard public transit systems, I'm sure you know this, are like, I'm, I'm, you probably know the real stat, are like 15 20% um, covered by fare revenue.
0: Uh, Yeah. Except for, except for just a hand. I mean, maybe there's a couple more. I think New York city does better than most. It's like 50%, but yeah. Overseas, I think they do even better, but, but you're right. I mean, most of the ones 20%.
2: Yeah. They're really low. Um, And so to just, you know, to, to to both have that appreciation of the full cost of things, as well as um, know what, what you're, what you're really competing against, which is like 80% subsidized. Um, you know, I've, I've always, I've, whenever I've always been skeptical when I, when I look at, you know, the cost of an Uber or the cost of a, um, of a lime ride and needing to, they, they need to, they need to be comparable with or beat transit or some multiple of transit versus, you know, their value, um, you know, to be able to, be sustainable business models. Um, and who's subsidizing them 80%, you know, um, no one. So, um, it's, uh, I think a lot of the folks who, I don't think many people who are early stage company investors have that kind of public transit (laughs) experience. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I don't know that they, uh, they, have that same amount of skepticism, obviously, um, given uh, how much uh, capital those businesses have raised. But also, <laughs> clearly, I'd have been very wrong um, about some of them. So,
0: yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, your point. Your point is. Your point is raised. I mean, it, it's still pretty early um, in, in in the story for all of those. I mean, yes, there there have been some. They've gone public, but but again, you know these 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 haven't been generational companies yet that have that have made it through multiple cycles and all that right yes
2: and almost none of them have made you know any um, money yet
0: yeah 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 that that that's 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 a that's it's it's a it's a tough business so i mean from from that standpoint do you do, do you all think about how can we reduce cost like so so if you if you accept that like there's this fundamental like you know, cost of of moving people is is one strategy to say how can we reduce that cost as much as possible to um, to maybe try to find some value there? Is that is that a strategy?
2: Um, it's a good question. Um, I'm thinking about like our existing uh, transportation investments, which are companies like Hopskip Drive and May Mobility. Um, I think either, you know, if you're going to change the, the operating model, um, then I think it's gotta be about making it more efficient. Um, because you need to fit in with the way that, uh, that money is distributed, um, in, 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 whatever segment of transit or transportation that you're in. Um, and uh, so I think, I think if you're, you know, I, th- there, there are certain segments where improving the experience uh, matters as well. Um, like we have an investment in a, in a niche airline, but um, huh. that's like totally different. Um, but yeah. Like in transit, I think it's about lowering cost um, or, um, You know, if you, we don't, we don't actually have any investments in, in this way, but like if you, I, I think there's, there's always innovation to be done, um, in whatever the natural buying motion is of a space. Um, like an example of a company that I think did that well, the Translook did that well, uh, or like your competitors, like, like Synchromatics and folks like that who are just like, you know, there, there's there's plenty of innovation to be done in just like core core product um, that helped you know imp- improve um, the overall way that the system works. So um, yeah, those are, I think that's a, a good way to um, characterize it.
0: Thinking of the work you're doing, certainly you know you know technology and innovation is kind of a part of that, and that's certainly a theme that we kind of talk about pretty regularly in the podcast. Is just trying to tease out you know, as there's been a lot of investments in technology, you know, throughout the industry over the course of the last, you know, I mean, forever. I mean, they've just been different kinds of investments and different kinds of innovation. Sure. I'm curious how how how, how you think about maybe the barrier to, to getting to mobility that works for everyone. Um, and I'm curious, like, is, is it is it technology that, you know, that is getting in the way of, of giving us mobility that everyone can access? Is it leadership um and some of those policy decisions that is going to impact technology adoption like what, what do you think is 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 getting in the way there
2: yeah what do you what do you how do you define everyone like what's your like perf- what's perfect transit to you
0: the way i think about it is kind of as as mobility as a fundamental human right to access jobs education healthcare community so forth and you know, uh, the then question that is a reasonable follow up is like, well, what's enough, right? And you know, I that, that's maybe that's maybe a harder question to answer. But I, I I'd say that like you know it when you have it, right? I'm guessing where you live, you have pretty good mobility. You're in New York City, I believe. You know, I'm I'm guessing you have pretty good mobility where you live. And there's a lot of communities that don't have that same level of access. Now they're not as dense, but um, but but they still need they still need to move the current way that our our system has defaulted, at least here in November, 2021 is, is car centric in in most locations. So there's some folks that just don't have access. Um, So that that's really the way I think about it.
2: Yeah. Got it. So like access.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fundamental access. Because,
2: you know, full equity is really difficult because there's so many aspects of it. You know, so if if we're thinking about like I, I think that the technology is almost mature enough to give people full access uh, to transit. I'm curious your, your view on this too. Maybe you maybe you share this all the time. But I, I don't know if full access is like that practical because of what it costs. Like I just don't know if if we'll ever have technology that would be low cost enough that it would make transit accessible and equitable in all different types of communities. Even even in like the the lowest cost version of transit that I could think of, which would be like Fully optimized, really low cost, shared autonomous vehicles on like deviated fixed routes that had also the ability to like maybe fly short distances.
0: (laughs) It's like the Jetsons. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, Like, I guess I just put forward a technology future that doesn't exist. And yeah. You know, well so yeah, no,
0: I mean I think that's fair. I mean I, I guess I guess I guess part of what I'm trying to get at there is you're investing in technology companies. Yeah. Right. And so I guess I'm trying to figure out is the barrier that the technology isn't there yet, or is the barrier that even if the technology was here, we don't have the political leadership that is going to allow that technology to even do what it needs to do.
2: Yeah. In that way of asking the question, like I don't think we're optimizing what we have today. You you know this well, but we don't we don't have optimized bus routes for starters, um, and things like that, because of how complicated it is to, you know, to even have at a stop level changes made to transit systems, um, even if they're for the benefit of optimizing access to transit. You know, if you were moving where the bus stop was, or making a system to not have stops, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of politics that happen even at a local level. Um, so I think that's a I think that's a people issue. Um, I do think that, like, I'm not sure that I think that that's wrong. Um, like i I think that the local political process, um, like, you know, when done correctly, um, with good, with good intentions has a lot of merit, um, because access to transportation is not the only thing that matters and, you know, civilizations are complicated to manage. So I think everybody should have a seat at the table to bring forward all the things that matter and have a discourse about them. But that's a people issue as well. So yeah. I, th- I, I I sort of expect that technology will always be a couple of steps ahead and uh, we'll, we'll always be a little frustrated by the pace of its adoption because it has to go through, you know, the same level of, of scrutiny that any other kind of local development has to go through.
0: I mean, it's interesting to me. I mean, I think about something like, um, you know, and this is like not fancy technology uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but something as simple as open gangway trains, right? New York city doesn't have open gangway trains. Um, so that if you get on the, you get on the car and it's full and the next one's empty, you, you got to get out at the next stop and go, go around to the next one. Like you can't actually just walk through the whole way. It's like dramatically inefficient as far as like, you know, you know, you, instead of, instead of one huge car, you have 15 separate cars, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's like one of these things There's like, you know, I'm sure there's some very good reason why New York City doesn't have open gangway, you know, trains. But, you know, you go to any other major city around the world, they have open gangway trains. Like, it's kind of wild, right? Like,
2: do you know why?
0: I don't. I mean, I, I bet it has something to do with with the gauges of the, <laughs> some gauges somewhere.
2: Well, um, uh, yeah, there's probably a there's either probably a uh, obscure law that hasn't been changed. Uh, or like a very sad story about it that you know you'd be like, ooh, I shouldn't have brought that example up.
0: Yeah. Like, well, I, I, I think they're doing a pilot. I think on a couple lines. I mean, you know, and obviously there's the old IRT and you know there's there's different lines. I'm sure there's different different things, but um, but I'm just I'm I'm struck by that whenever I travel and I'm like, oh yeah, like New York City, love the subway, but man, that's that's like. That's something that that could have been improved years ago. Um,
2: yeah, but the uh, way is strong. You know, I take it. I take it every day. Love hate. I, I think. It yeah.
0: No. I think that. I think that's real. fair. Um, you know, I had I had Stacy Matlin on a, a couple of weeks ago uh, who worked with the Transit Tech Lab, and I mean, she's she's trying to identify ways to you know help especially smaller companies you know solve some of these problems that um, you know might be hard to do. Um, with the, the MTA just being the behemoth that it is, yeah. Um, and I think that's I think that's exactly the type of thing where maybe there's some innovation that can be applied there that can help in certain ways. And she she mentioned a couple of examples there in her, her episode. But I, I don't know. I, I think I think this is one of those things where you know I think you're right that people are are always going to be holding stuff back for whatever reasons, whether it's political, whether it's more nefarious, whether it's uh, whether it's lack of capacity, whatever and that that does strike me that when technology is done right, there are some really great things that can happen when you apply that to mobility and i think I think to me that's 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 the hope right i mean i think I think what you what you want to make sure is that you know that's done with good intentions and i th- I guess we're just figuring out the the right guardrails to work with the the private sector from the public sector side to kind of help how are we achieving these these goals that we have set forth in our communities you know? yeah
2: for sure I mean transportation businesses and transit agencies are just very difficult to run and operate on a daily basis. Um, And so, you know, finding the extra time and resources to be able to fold in innovation projects, I understand why they come as lower priorities to meeting service levels and safety and uh, stuff like that, they just they just have to.
0: Yeah, no, I think about that all the time. It's it's you know, and I, I distinctly remember a conversation. I don't know if I've ever shared this on the air, but I had a conversation with um, the former city manager of of, of a major city, and we we're talking about you know some some micro transit type service. And I, I distinctly remember what he said is he said, you know, we still are focused on. Getting the basics right. I don't want to be chasing something shiny here because we still have to get the basics right. And that, I think you're right. I mean, that, that to me is a struggle that any transit agency CEO or, or public official is probably having to, to, to reckon with at any given moment, especially ones, even, even the ones that are investing in innovation.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hiring drivers, for example. There's a national driver shortage. It's like, okay, don't think we can really focus on anything else until we solve that part. That's a tough one. I think everybody's dealing
0: with that. Is there an area that we're sleeping on? Is there an area that that we're we're not thinking enough about yet that, that you think is coming that is going to be pretty interesting coming forward?
2: I've got two. My first is fleets of vehicles are going to adopt electric vehicles um, at a ridiculously faster rate than, uh, consumer passenger vehicles. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I think we're at a place where, you know, it's been sort of early days, um, and steady penetration for consumer vehicles and, um, That I I expect that to sort of stay steady. Um, Maybe it picks up a a bunch because there's like over 100 EV models coming to market in the next couple of years and there hasn't been a lot of availability, um, especially at like affordable price points for most people. But um, we're about to pass the point of um, of like uh, uh, TCO, like total cost of ownership, um, parity for fleets. And when we do um i we're just going to see fleets of all kinds um you know rapidly changing over as soon as it makes economic sense to and uh our our view is that is just going to um you know flood the uh like transport it's going to bring transportation and energy together in a really unique way um and flood the market with a bunch of really Different kinds of opportunities, um, because it changes the operating model of many businesses as they um, as they shift from fuel based and a certain kind of maintenance to electricity based um, and another uh, might change. You know the locations that uh, different kinds of fleets operate out of. Uh, it changes the a lot of the skills needed. Um, it it you know replaces. Uh, certain kinds of fuel companies with other kinds of fuel companies. So that's one I think is like transformative to transportation as a market, but also brings its relationship to energy, like completely redefines it. You're talking about
0: public works, you're talking about transit, you're talking about UPS. I mean, you talking about all
2: that? Yeah, like every vehicle class, um, you know, one through eight. And honestly, some vehicles that don't even have classes like bulldozers um, are Ooh, electric, electric bulldozers. Yeah, um, huh. mi- mining equipment, farm um, tractors. Uh, we see uh, all sorts of of uh, vehicles just uh, passing this this point of of operating price parity. It's changing the way that a lot of these businesses work and that's pretty cool. People probably aren't sleeping on that, but um but I but I, the part of it that I think people are sleeping on is the speed of fleet adoption versus consumer adoption. It's going to be fast because it it just you do, you do the math and the math works and you know, I I talked to people that a year ago were like I don't I don't need a I don't really care about EVs and like I me- I mentioned a a company earlier that owns a bunch of a bunch of Ubers and a year ago, they're like, nah, you know, that's a thing in the future today. They're like, as soon as possible, as many EVs as possible. Hmm. Um, the, the other, I think is, uh, I think we're going to see a giant change in the way that school transportation works hmm. um, on two vectors. Um, I think not that early to the game on this because um, two giant infrastructure funds um, just bought like two of the biggest school transportation companies out there. Um, EQT bought First Group who owns First Student. And uh, this uh, firm called Terramount bought uh, Schweitzer Cardi. But uh, school buses are like 40, 50% occupied on average. Right. And I, I think that there's a, when it comes to opportunities to use like smart routing, um, like we're, we're investors in, in hop, skip drive, um, like you integrating rideshare in and reducing the number of buses uh, is a thing that I think we'll see happen nationally over the next couple of years. And then I, I think we'll also see um, people start to use school buses as they electrify as like giant grid resources, um, as batteries. Uh, and that's why I think these infrastructure funds have bought these school bus companies to like take them electric and then, you know, run their energy services, business models. Um, no one's told me that, but, um, you know, people are putting other batteries out there just sitting on the grid and making money off of them. And, um, you know, as you might imagine, takes a pretty big battery to uh, get a get a school bus cranking. So, um,
0: and I imagine that 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 will take a little time for any shift there, right? I mean, you mentioned those two new companies and and so forth, or two two new owners of those companies. Yeah, but I mean, that that will take a little time. But but maybe that's kind of related to that first point, which is which is related to how these fleets transition and how quickly that happens will will impact
2: that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to, I think it's going to happen faster than people anticipate. Like uh, the new flyers, as well as variety of startups in the space, like have real production um, to deliver buses. Um, And there, there have been some like sizable public procurements. Obviously school buses have long, Ish useful lives, but folks are just out there getting quotes and continuously running that math. And as soon as it looks good, they're clicking order to swap out the entire fleet. And uniquely in school bus, um, you if you have like two hundred buses sitting there all day, uh, and you're having them participate in like battery storage business model on the grid. Um, you have additional motivation to you know, have a bunch of them and it makes your, your conversion math look even better. That, that's an easy place for subsidy to, to hit from all angles um, because utilities are subsidizing renewable energy resources on the energy side and you know, transportation agencies are subsidizing EVs on that side. I think that that's a, that's a, uh, that's a change. We'll start to see like, honestly, in in 2022 and by 2025 um, like real, real penetration. I mean, there's been, there's, there's real transit bus penetration um, in for EVs in the U S and it's only constrained by, you know, how fast Proterra has been able to scale up. Right. If you look at like China, where they've scaled EV uh, EV bus capacity at, at like the rate that China scales things, um, it's like you know more than double where we are. Um,
0: yeah, they've got they've got some insane number of electric buses.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's um, I got I love the uh, promotional videos of the Shenzhen bus station with uh, all the EVs.
0: Yeah. No, I, 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 I'm curious. I mean, I, I guess it'll be interesting to see like the, the, the quintessential, you know, I don't know, I don't know if it's diesel, but whatever that kind of smoky school bus that we've all had blow in our face when we were kids, uh, and, and still do when we walk around, uh, our neighborhoods, you know, like that, that could be gone in the next several years, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, one, one would, one would hope. Yeah. Um, one would hope. I, I do know that, um, school buses uh, tend to make their way over their life to from uh, around the country to the Southeast. Huh. Um, I don't know if you do that. No. Um, yeah. That's the, the life- less, less,
0: less stringent, uh, exactly. quality.
2: L- yeah. L- less stringent, um, like operating conditions. Hmm. And so the life of a school bus um you know, typically goes from like the northwest or the northeast. Maybe spent some time in the southwest, and then ends in the southeast. And great,
0: just great.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you know where I'm going there, but
0: um, yeah. Well, I guess yeah, I'm not moving anywhere. So I guess I guess I got to work on uh, help helping helping uh, figure out uh, different ways to to get folks to and from school there. Yeah, you you can pull
2: up the stats on the. Uh, I'm pretty sure that dot uh, you know publishes um, you know all the uh, all the registered um, you know fleet fleet vehicles and stuff like that so um, you can use that that lead of information to get on your own your own soapbox about that or you do your own investigative uh, journalism
0: oh that's right that's right. well Ben, thank you so much for for taking us inside a little bit of the way that you're working at keyframe capital to uh, invest in some of these uh, technology and mobility companies that are that are going to be changing what's on our streets and and how we move around and maybe how some of our kids are moving around here in the next, you know, starting in 2022 and, and beyond, uh, pretty quickly, uh, especially as it relates to some of the energy and electrification. So, thank you so much for giving us an introduction to that and uh, keep up the great work.
2: Yeah, cool, man. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, head to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can find out more at transloke.com or follow Josh Cohen on Twitter at CohenJP. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of The Movement.